Site Game of Thrones podcast episode six. This week it's the old gods and the new. I'm joined as ever by Miss Kate Kalzik. Hello. Also our recurring host, Mr. Mike Waldman. Hello. In Toronto. And joining us for the first time, Mr. Rich Thorne. Rich, are you there? Yes, yes. Hello. Thanks for everyone for having me. Very excited. So it's uh it's a foursome this week. Yeah, I'm just putting that out there. I guess that that's a very sort of George R. R. Martin thing to happen. Yeah, it's it's fitting. It's yeah. a lot of a lot of players dueling powers. We don't we yeah, really we'll, don't know who's going to end up on top. We'll 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 get to Jon Snow later in the podcast. I'm sure there'll be plenty of fighting there. Oh Bye. yes, I'm I'm very excited, very excited to talk about Jon Snow. <laughs> right. So, Rich, since you're you've not been on the show before, we're going to ask you the standard question: uh, Have you read the books? Are you how far? How far are you? If you have, are you totally ahead of the curve, or are you like me and you're totally ignorant? I'm a little ahead of the curve. I'm through the first three books. I just started the fourth one, so I'm about two and a half chapters in Feast for Crows. So I remain the this podcast beacon of ignorance, which I'm quite happy about. Once again, this week we sort of span the entirety of uh, of the Seven Kingdoms, sort of looking at every significant. I think uh, set it sort of setting instead of characters uh, a little bit more episodically i would say than last week which seemed to skip around a little more rapidly mike let's let's start with you why not do you feel like some segments of the show worked uh, better than others do you feel like uh, it was cohesive at all or did it sort of just feel uh, more piecemeal i don't know i i thought that they picked up i think a lot of the plots just need to be advanced sometimes and uh as always they're definitely condensing things to make it a lot more concise and and as a result they're making things a lot seem a lot simpler and rely more a lot a little bit more on things like coincidence and happenstance i think than is actually the case in the book but um no this episode didn't feel especially episodic to me oh i i disagree for me it was uh it's interesting for me it was there were two really standout chunks um but then some of the other sections uh it, like especially when we check in with rob it felt very much like you know, and now we're going to check in and see what's going on with Rob, even though it's nowhere near as interesting as anything going on with Arya or Sansa. Um, so I actually got a really strong sense of, of uh, as opposed to having stronger themes throughout the entire episode, I was, you know, I, I got I had a completely different reaction. Yeah, I, I sort of side with you there, Kate. To me, I sort of had a Mike Waldman week watching it uh, because... I, uh, I mean, I was, I was enthralled with the stuff at uh, King's Landing. I thought that that whole sequence, with sort of the uprising, I thought was was fantastic. Um, everything at Heron Hall was almost as good, and I was quite happy with the stuff at Carth. But holy crap, did the uh, pace of the episode just drag? Uh, whenever we got north of the wall, and I'm, I, I'm not going to place that all at the, uh, at the feet of Jon Snow and the handsome fellow playing him. But uh, I, I'm just, I'm not really engaged with what's going on with uh, 
the Night's Watch and the Wildlings. I'm, I'm, I can't really place it, having not read the books, in terms of the wider conflicts going on. It seems even more remote than what's going on in Karth, and I don't know. I just I'm I'm I don't feel like they did a great job this week integrating it and making it feel uh, like something that's really important for us to be seeing. I would agree with that. The definitely the stuff in Karth. I'm a little up and down with a lot of it because it is so removed. But I think it was really great how it tied in Danny's stake in the Seven Kingdoms or in Westeros rather, whereas everything north of the Wall was just Jon Snow walking through snow and egret which was nice but mm-hmm. i i i think i enjoyed i enjoyed core and halfhand a lot i thought that was a strong performance from simon armstrong um and i hope to like where we're going with with john snow and egret um but definitely you know it, it de- the story definitely slows down I mean, you compare the pacing and you compare the tension uh, in, in those sequences with what we had going, I mean, for me, the, the tensest moments were, you know, like the uprising, but then also that entire sequence with Tywin and, and Baelish and Arya, I was on the edge of my seats there too, which is, you know, it's, it's less difficult to, to, to really ratchet up the tension when you have a protagonist who is, you know, you don't know if she's going to get killed or get raped or just never be heard from again. Uh, that's not as hard to, to make me tense about as dinner. Um, so I, I thought that they did a, you know, just the contrast between those, you know, the north of the wall and, and, and even, you know, with Rob and those two sequences was just st- incredible. I can't believe I'm going to say this. It was a, a stark contrast. Oof. Kate. <laughs> I didn't mean it as a pun when I started to say it. Uh, you should have just let it happen. Uh yeah I I mean I I think I mean you I mean you guys have read the books Do, how can we expect it to be a, a while still before sort of what's going on in the north sort of starts to feel like part more more like part of the whole or is it going to feel sort of like its own sort of side quest for a while probably fourth season if I think they're splitting the third right. If they should they split the third, yeah, for for much of the storyline, much of the books at least, uh, the John's story and Danny's story are fairly removed from everything else that's going on. Um, so so the just because she's dealing with what she's dealing with down uh, across the Shimmering Sea, he's dealing with what he's dealing with north of the Wall, and so I think they've just done a better job of integrating Danny's storyline into the main action in, in, in Westeros like they do this week than they have really with, with John. Even the, I think the attempts were there this week to tie it back in with Corrin's speech about, you know, protecting the people, you know, south of the wall. But I, I still think it worked quite as well. Yeah, they're, they're trying, but we're not really feeling it. I think part of the problem is the wildlings themselves, who they really just, they kind of just seem scattered and nomadic, and there's no real sense of sort of a gathering force and i don't know i mean i guess we're not meant to feel that yet uh, or i don't know if we ever will but it's it definitely feels like a sort of a a, a misadventure in some very different direction whereas well, there's also there's also such a, a huge visual difference in john's story than anyone else now when danny was in the desert she might have felt more separated out but now she's in karth she's in a city 
and, and most of these other sequences are in encampments and cities are surrounded by other people. Whenever we get to John north of the wall, he's isolated. He's with a few people. There's snow everywhere. It's, it's such a different, uh, just such a different visual aesthetic to his story that I, that I think that only exacerbates it. Yeah, I can see that. Mike, you haven't said anything about John. I know you must be wanting to. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's so weird. Nobody likes an episode that has mostly Jon Snow scowling and squinting and trying to poke people. And we're supposed to read all these emotions in his face. Um, <laughs> that seems obvious to me. Uh, it's awful watching him for that long. It's just, I feel like I'm watching a different show after a while. And when it's only him and whichever, like, sassy Scottish girl they've hired to play Ygritte, it's awful. Like it's 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 not entertaining. Even I, um, as for all the stuff north of the wall, yeah, like the stuff in Quarth, it does stay pretty remote for a while. Although, I think something's going to change probably in the next episode that'll change that for viewers a little bit. Probably, I uh, I hate Jon Snow, and <laughs> uh, I think it's an embarrassment to the show to spend. 15 minutes of HBO's money and time watching him squint and scowl. These are like episodes where we're supposed to literally spend most of our screen time reading the actor's emotions and like a close up on his face. Those are often embarrassing for good actors. This was just awful. Uh, well, maybe yeah, we- the way they're trying to humanize him doesn't, I don't think the way they humanize him is working at all. And it seems like they tried to really play into the Gret thing, but it was just long, and even the action sequence was so disconnected from how great all the other action sequences were. Well, yeah, yeah, the whole it, thing where they, they slide down hills for a while, like even that felt, it felt like like an outtake from from one of the Conan films, like where like Arnold <laughs> would chase someone down a hill. And well, and, make and the yeah. the topography like the of that chase scene is very confusing because yeah, I agree. She, she, she runs she's sideways. Got and like she a, runs down. She's got like a thirty foot head start. And then he just takes the lower ground, which somehow works wonders. Well, she it's... also runs sideways and he runs down. I'm not sure how they intersect at any point unless yeah. they started thousands of feet apart from each other. And you'd, you'd think knowing the terrain would be a, would be a natural boon, but apparently not. Uh, so anyway, yes, we, I think we can all agree those scenes were a drag. Uh, maybe, but luckily they took up maybe, you know, as Mike was saying, about a quarter of the episode. And I think we can mostly agree that the other three quarters was pretty strong. Uh, let's start with, uh, well, why not? Let's start with King's Landing. So it seems to me that they're just determined to feature as many possible scenes of Tyrion physically abusing Joffrey <laughs> as they can. Do you guys remember, Kate? Do you remember, does he hit Joffrey a second time in the books? Because I don't remember that. I, I'm not sure, but the sentiment is truly there. So I think if they're not being literally true to the situation, they're definitely being emotionally true to it. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, he might as well have. It's it's a win-win. They get to be basically true to the books while giving people another visual they really enjoy. Yeah, and I'm sure the gifts are all over. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's a few. I mean, you get to, you get Joffrey covered in cow shit. You get Joffrey punched in the face. You get Joffrey cowering, basically in darkness, sort of maybe, maybe feeling an ounce of shame for the first time in his life, although probably not. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, and this is, it's a fantastic sequence in King's Landing, but 
it, it's interesting that this is it, it features Tyrion somewhat, but for the most part, this is all about Sansa, and uh, and you know giving us a little more screen time with the Hound as well, uh, and uh, and so, so with you know it's easy for me to like a scene that has Peter Dinklage doing his Peter Dinklagey awesomeness, uh, but. But but for it to have such a successful uh, sequence without that, I think you know. Well, and it clearly was a... they don't only need you know they're not just relying on Peter Dinklage's uh, acting abilities. Right, and I thought it was a nice sort of payoff for sort of the lingering, sort of weird connection between the Hound and Sansa. And luckily, it's so far turning out to be something you know fairly innocent and. Uh, probably the most, probably the only innocent relationship in the entire show. I don't know if it's going to stay that way. Um, I have to say the guy playing the Hound is fantastic. Like the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the scenes with him are just. He's one of those rare people in the show that's always great in every scene he does. You never doubt the character. You never really think about it being played by an actor. Um, I mean, it's not a heavy load, I guess, as an actor to scowl and say almost nothing. Um, and to let your a lot of your makeup do the talking, but he's definitely just just fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's well, I, Rory McCann. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, for a character like that, over half the battle is just having the physical presence. Yeah, um, he's huge. Yeah, and he's yeah big guy. And uh, I'm really hoping that he and Brienne fight at some point over the course of the series because I'd pay good money for that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely good Sandor Clegane fights. You won't. You won't lack for Sandor Clegane fights. Excellent. Uh, I, I concur that it was probably the best scene in the show. The, the Aria scene competes with it. And yeah, I never really picked up as much on the great makeup work they did with the Hound. Having his face just... You see it deformed enough from the fire. And yeah, it, it's just great, great rendering. Though the tension with the Sansa stuff, it was kind of weird. I, even knowing what would happen, you almost feel like they would go there. Yeah, because if there's a show, I, I try to remember some, somebody I follow on Twitter was talking about this. If there's a show that would go there on TV right now, it's it's Game of Thrones. Well, I, uh, I was sure yeah. that it was going to just based on the many many uh, sort of invocations that I've already heard on our podcast of the horrible, horrible things that happen to women on this show. And I was like, okay, this is where it starts. It's happening now. Well, actually, this show sort of very slightly, and I don't know if they'll continue with it, alludes to what I think is the most misogynist moment in any of the books, which is the group rape of a chubby girl named Lulz, I think, which is generally played for humor throughout the rest of the books um, and with, like, really shockingly dispassionate attitude in a way that I think really invokes what I think is a big part of R.R. Martin's issues with women. There's a very brief shot where, like, a woman's top is ripped off, um, and I think that that was supposed to be an allusion to that. I don't know if they're going to continue it, um, but I thought that that was just going to replace that for me. Um, That was always the most distasteful part of any of the books for me, so I'm kind of hoping that they don't go back to it. I I do think... um, I just get it. Unless... Or thinking of different things, I, I think I know what you're talking about, and I absolutely disagree, 100 mm. percent, that it's played for humor, at all. 
So uh, in in the books, so that that's that's interesting. If it comes back, we'll have to. This, and they, if if we see more of that in the series, we're gonna have to talk about it because I vehemently disagree. <laughs> well, there you go. The the one part of the sequence I did think was even for the show a little over the top was, of course, the uh, what do we call it? Disembowel? No, dismemberment. Disembowelment. Uh, dis oh. dismembering. Yeah. Uh, that was that was like that was a George A. Romero moment. Yeah, crowd literally tearing somebody apart. I was just kind of glad that there were enough bodies around that that we just kind of saw the arm come out. We didn't actually see everything that was happening. It just it seemed like it came off like a drumstick. Oh, like it didn't didn't quite seem right. Like he'd been pre cooked. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> that's, that's just how it seemed to me. So let's move on to Harrenhal and Arya and her misadventure. She almost loses the plot this week, which was uh, very upsetting to see. Uh, I guess she keeps it bottled in for now, thanks to some very swift hitman invocation. Uh, now, are we meant to assume that Peter Baelish doesn't see her at all? or Because I sort of got the sense that he did he just sort of smartly shut up about it uh, i think we were i don't think he put everything together um because i think he had sort of maybe it's something he'll figure out later but sort of like a you know back of his mind sort of why i feel like there's something you know like the, his subconscious was working on it but it didn't quite he didn't quite piece it together I don't know what what did you guys think uh Mike Mike and Rich what did you think of that? I I definitely thought he did. I went back and rewatched the scene just to be sure and it's weird because Arya has a lot of Ned's features and he I don't think he's seen Arya very often before that. So the one he would recognize definitely would be Sansa because of his infatuation with Caitlyn. But then I looked and right before he starts talking about Ned Stark's daughters his eyes are still seemingly fixed on Arya. I feel like if he had actually pieced it together, though, and was keep you know keeping quiet about it, that he wouldn't be looking at her anymore. You know, like that he would he would figure it out, and then he would uh, not want to draw any attention. Like he wouldn't want Tywin to notice him noticing the you know the cupbearer sort of a thing. I don't know. Uh, that's true too. Yeah, and I, I if anyone would recognize Arya based on her features alone, I guess it would probably be Tywin, and I'm not sure that he has any idea who she is anyway. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think they leave it deliberately vague, and I don't actually remember the scene specifically from the books, so um, I don't know. Uh, I think he did see her at that jousting match that they were all at mm-hmm. in the first season, but right, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, and there's, it's also important to keep in mind the, the power of our brain to to make us see things or not see things based on how likely they seem. So he wouldn't be looking for her there. And and so even if, you know, he was thinking, oh, this, this girl looks familiar, he wouldn't necessarily, you know, of course it couldn't be Arya because that didn't wouldn't make any sense. So, like, his brain might just filter out that as an option. And so, because that's something that we do as a species. Yeah, I I definitely see what you mean. And well, I mean, yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out, but I think they pretty effectively as effectively as possible given the 
how constrained a space the mm-hmm. uh, it's set in. They they you know they play tricks with light and blocking, and I think they do play up the ambiguity as much as possible. Well, and Aidan Gillen is great there. Uh, Charles Dance, of course, is Tywin, and Maisie Williams is fabulous in that sequence. It's you know I'm repeating myself here every week. I'm singing her praises, but that that scene it's such a simple scene and it works because of the performances and because of the specificity of the editing of just how long they hold on each of the different people. But uh, it's fabulous performances all around. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, unless somebody had something else pressing to say about Heron Hall, as long as we're talking about uh, performances, I wanted to give a shout out to Alfie Allen, who plays uh, Theon, who I thought was actually uh, really, really good this week and in, with some of his trickiest material. Yeah, I had trouble with some of his line deliveries. I, I like for some reason his voice kind of bothers me a little bit uh, when he's when he's talking, like it so it feels like he's always kind of yelling, but quietly. But maybe that's part of the character. Is is you know he seems so much like a child screaming for he's attention. He's kind of lost, yeah. But um, I would definitely agree his performance from you know from when he's confronted with Roderick through the end of that sequence is incredibly strong. Yeah, the the whole Winterfell. Uh, part of the episode was sort of a was probably a close second for me with with king's landing uh there was a weird bit of synergy with does anyone but me watch spartacus no i don't no i saw a couple episodes it was awful (laughs) anyway there's i i I sort of thought it was a funny bit of synergy because near the end of of uh, the last season of spartacus there's a conversation between two characters about how it's two shirtless characters uh i think only one of them is shirtless Oh, shocking. I bet he's got great abs, though. He's got fantastic abs. There you go, and therein lies the appeal of the show. Yes. Uh, anyway, there, there's a, a loaded conversation about um, how it's not easy to take off someone's head with a single sword blow, and it takes practice. And uh, this is something that Theon uh, learned this week. And I I, I thought the... the Oh, God damn it! now I'm going to be the one with the bad pun. The execution of that sequence <laughs> oh that's fabulous i i thought was was stellar well it's such a nice and uh quick way to divorce him any further connection we, we might have between him and ned i mean just those two those are the two you know execution sequences where we've really seen i guess there are three if you can count when they killed Ned, uh but where we've seen somebody executing somebody else and just the contrast couldn't be more uh, it couldn't couldn't be larger the beginning with theon when he first gets to bran it reminded me of someone waking up a kid for school and <laughs> it kind of added like a little bit of humor for it he's just like get up by the way i've taken your castle <laughs> well, here's your I, milk and i like yeah. the way bran just if it, like he's a you know he's not a dumb kid he immediately cuts through all of theon's bullshit and yeah just says, it's like it's like really you're doing this <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like Theon becomes the little lord. That's we've talked a little bit about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's uh, obviously I won't give you any spoilers here, Simon, but there's some good stuff coming with with Theon at, at Winterfell that I'm looking forward to in I presume the next episode. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should mention Osha. I think uh, this this week. I th- you know it's. It's a character I'm I'm fond of. I enjoy the performance as well, and uh, well, I wasn't that fond of the them feeling the need to hammer home the "this is what his dream meant" thing in with yeah. her dialogue. Uh, I still like the 
this her approach to Theon and then to Theon's guard are entertaining. I think it's interesting too that uh, Kate, you predicted a couple weeks ago that it looked like they were eliminating some characters from the book, the frog people, and it certainly seems like they have. Um, and for book readers, I think you made you know, that up, honestly. Which one of us? The, the I I think you've just invented the frog. The people. frog people don't really. No, there there are frog people from some <laughs> sort of swamp that. They keep talking uh, about Deepwoodmont because that's where uh, that's where Yara is, and that's where the frog people are from. Uh, and we we actually got to see Rickon this week. Yes, like a Rickon sighting. Rickon sightings happen rarely in the books. Yeah, but um, he wasn't breaking chestnuts this time. So <laughs> wait a minute, which one's Rickon? The littlest the boy, the youngest dark boy that you see almost nothing of. Oh yeah, and, and, we, and we still see almost nothing of, like after you know a long time. That's my um, favorite of Arrested Westeros, by the way. The um, you can always tell a Milford man with the picture of uh, Rickon. It's good stuff. <laughs> but what's also interesting is that it's one of those ep- moments in the show that changes the book in a way that you think um, actually they dealt with that pretty easily and that maybe that other stuff was slightly superfluous or at least just better suited to a to a written dialogue because um, they certainly seem to have dealt with all those things without the involvement of those characters. Um, I'm just now getting used to seeing more of uh, Lord Ramsay. Um, and he's a very interesting casting decision for me. I thought he would be a scarier guy, and he sort of just looks like a very normal guy, which might prove to be just as scary. Um, but I, I think it's cool that they're just sort of starting to introduce him. He's an interesting character. Remind me? Lord Ramsay, he's the one that has the bastard son who's going to play ah, some... yes. There you go. I still, I'm still not sure who you're talking. He's about. the one who's speaking to Lord Tywin and convincing him to mount to. Uh, no, he's the one who's speaking to Rob and convincing him to try to go march on King's Landing instead of going back to Winterfell. Oh, that right. Was yes, Roose Bolton. That's what I. Thought. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Roose Bolton. That's right. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. I was. That's why I was very confused. Okay. But yes, he is. Yes, that's that's an excellent point. I will say, uh, anybody else feel like uh, Talisa was utterly superfluous this week? I felt. I mean, I, I know why that scene was there with Rob and Talisa, but it I just... feel like that's why the Rob stuff feels really tacked on is because they need to establish that relationship a little bit. But even I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers because it's so painfully obvious they're staging it that way. But it, it does feel like we went back to him for no other reason than to establish that relationship a bit. Yeah, and to I... see that now they're getting along better. Well, I think even Simon, not having read the books, I don't think it was hard for you to tell that that's why we were there for five minutes. Yeah, totally. But it wasn't as as painfully boring as what was happening north of the wall. No, because it didn't involve Jon Snow. Um, you were saying, Rich, about the twins? I Yeah, I, at that point, they just had Caitlin come in and sort of drop it. I had almost forgotten that she had even gone there at any point in the series up to this point. Yep. Just because it's been so far removed. Mm-hmm. Now, do we have any thoughts on on Karth and Danny and and what's going on down across the Shimmering Sea? I thought. Yeah. Wait a minute. Who made the ugh sound? Mike. Mike hates Danny. Only because she's a bad actor, though. To be fair. Oh. Uh, anyways. I, uh, I I I thought her scene with uh, with really he's just called the Spice King. He doesn't get a name. Apparently. Um, I mean, Nicholas Blaine is, uh, I, I think, I forget who made, I think it was you, Mike, who made the Wallace Shawn comparison. And yes. uh, he's, you know, he's a very good ham. 
and uh, I thought that, that thought it was a fun sequence to watch for that reason. I'm intrigued by the sort of episode ending reveal of basically all of her people being dead, uh, which implies a pretty significant force since those are, you know, badasses. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, I, I assume that's I assume that's to do with the warlockery we saw the previous week. Uh, but yeah, not not the most sort of bracing part of the episode. But again, it didn't uh, it didn't let me down in the way that certain other things did. I don't really mind Danny screaming. I just, I I do agree with Mike though. She's not that great of an actress. And every time, for me, it's just you look at her eyes and it they just for some reason don't fit the character. She just seems detached. I agree. We, we evened up the odds. I mean, what do we do? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I. I don't. I don't. I. I don't. I definitely don't think she's in the upper echelon of Game of Thrones performers, but I think she's perfectly serviceable. I think she's the kind of person that, if you generally watch fantasy, you you get a lot of that kind of acting. And maybe it's because I don't generally watch fantasy, but I feel that qualifying her as a good actor across all genres is would be disingenuous. Um, you know. It, by the standards of, of, of regular dramatic acting in film or television, she's not a good actor. Um, she, yeah, it, it might be that it's hard to play a straight character as the, you know, the, queen, the mother of dragons and all that stuff, um, especially when you have to have like white hair and you know, try to look as close to 17 as possible, although fortunately they're not really doing that. Um, but no, I mean, I, I found the scenes with her just kind of embarrassing sometimes, but the... Am I wrong? Is the Spice Guy sort of an amalgam of characters from the book? I don't yes. remember specifically. I think so. Yes. He's like is. represents trade in Quarth because she spends a long time going around Quarth. Yeah. It's, it's a, Karth. Karth. Karth, yeah. Uh, Quarth. <laughs> but no, that's definitely an amalgamation scene. And it they're they're cutting out a lot of the... Danny gets to experience Karth, and Danny yeah. <laughs> gets showered with presents from people who really want dragons. But that, uh, see, that's interesting because I hadn't thought about that. But that's a different story. Um, uh, this element of her dealing with the trade people is the same, but the fact that she wasn't welcomed into the city and treated, you know, in this incredibly sort of opulent way—the way she was in the book—does change the story a bit. Yeah, I would agree. It changes her journey. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, how are we, how are we feeling about the guy who plays Duck Sauce? I don't know. Duck Sauce gets on my nerves a bit, to be honest. It's just like everything is, and I know it's supposed to be. And again, maybe it's just hard to play a guy named Duck Sauce who holds his hands in this intensely affected way and is nine feet tall, and speaks in a, like a weird colonial British East Indian African accent. Um, but. No, it's too it's too much. I can't take that seriously. If that guy got killed, I'd be like, oh, I don't care. If he that, didn't get killed, I'd be like, oh, I don't care. Zach sauce is fine, and I have no problems with the performance at all. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the old gods and the new. I think that just about wraps up every individual aspect of the episode. What, um, without sort of getting into spoiler territory, what are we looking forward to in the near future? I mean, there's only four episodes left. Big things, big, yeah. uh, big things with Danny, yeah. Big things with Danny. You guys talked a little bit that at some point this season there's going to be a big battle. That should be fun. Hopefully, getting Stannis back in the action a little bit because I was I was disappointed to see Davos and everyone have to sit out this week. Well, and I, and as I've already mentioned, uh, the episode that is due to feature that battle is directed by Neil Marshall. So, 
Yes. I'm sort of curious to see. And, you know, he's not exactly, he doesn't have a great track record, let's be honest, but but he <laughs> well, does at I least would... have some experience with big battle scenes. And I'd have to say lately, I feel like they are um, playing it on the, like, not that the show ever looks cheap, but they're playing it on the less expensive side when they can. You know, big cities are shot in small interiors more and more often. Um, in In general, they're doing a lot more, you know, close shots and yeah. and scenes in rooms and well, and, really and we skip like... and we skip the whole raid of winterfell by the way well that yeah and to be honest i feel like that's why i don't really have anything to say about winterfell i mean i knew it was coming so it wasn't really a shock for me but it, i feel like it was just intensely anticlimactic um like it was sort of over before it started and then it was just repercussions but like you said yeah they skipped the whole raid at winterfell the the thing there isn't really a raid at winterfell in the in the book um, but there is like a sort of cool scene, but, um, in general, I feel like they've definitely been playing it on the cheaper side in preparation for the money they're going to have to spend on this battle sequence. Well, I definitely look forward to that. Yeah. Danny, good stuff. Interesting, fun stuff coming with, uh, or exciting, I should say, not necessarily fun coming with Danny. Theoretically, I would guess in the next episode, which I'm really looking forward to, uh, movements with Arya and her list is coming mm -hmm. yeah she's only oh. got one left yes oh man oh <laughs> yeah. that's gonna be great <laughs> all right so oh, I and, just... and long-term fans of enormously obese castrated men with tons of scars are not going to be disappointed i'm just putting <laughs> that out there as my standard you know fourth book spoiler oh yeah okay. Ferris hasn't been around very often either. Ferris has definitely been uh missing i i i mean oh, I i'm not talking about Ferris. Oh, yeah. I know, I know, but it reminds uh, the castration. It reminds me. Oh yeah, you don't. You, well, you won't have to wait that long for obese castrata. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to Salador San showing back up because we got one scene of him, and I enjoy that character quite a bit. I like the actor too. So which one's he? Yeah. There's too many damn he's the, characters. He's the pirate who is buddies with Davos. Right. Yes. Okay. So. Who? Yeah. I, I, although I didn't really like his one scene, to be honest. I think he's a. I, he's one of the people that is a little bit overplaying it for me, but I don't mind that as much because the character over, he's a Bravosi. He's a Bravosi, yeah. he, the same as Arya's dancing teacher. And actually, I actually thought they did a, in retrospect, kind of a cool job of affecting a similar affect. So you're getting a little bit of a feel of what people from Bravos are like, um, just like people from Quarth and all those other places. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Actually, I'm interested in seeing more of Salad or Sand. All right. So, uh, yes, we'll have to wait and see what uh, next week brings. Thank you all for joining me and Kate. <laughs> um, next week, I'm not sure. I, th I think we may be bringing in uh, Beverly from the Doctor Who cast. Uh, if she will answer our phone calls. Just to mention, I you can follow me on Twitter at the Televerse and, and drop me a line let uh let me know what you're thinking about about this stuff. And, of course, Sam and I have our TV podcast, which comes out every every uh, Tuesday. So if you're looking for other shows, discussion of other shows as well, you can yes. check us out there. We discuss everything except Game of Thrones. Pretty much. Um, and then, Rich, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me Twitter at FlyMeatWad. Easy to spell. <laughs> and, yeah, I tweet about everything. Music, movies, film, TV games and mike Life. your your hot dogs coverage 
Yes, I've got a bunch of Hot Docs reviews up from the just-finished Hot Docs Festival, and there are more coming up uh, over the next several days, more coming up tonight, and you should check those out. There were some amazing films at Hot Docs this year. Excellent. Uh, And everyone else, thank you for listening.